Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, so guys, we like to dive right in. Welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Um, got a good buddy of mine, Chris Seymour from Kansas with us today. Chris, welcome to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Um, you've been in the outfitting game and the hunting game for a long, long time. Give us a little uh, history about you and, and uh, Chris Seymour and Be Outdoors. <laughs> Where to start? Uh, 20 years ago, Going on, I guess 22 now. I left Kansas City and, and came up to Northeast Kansas. And my in laws leased a bunch of property. Long story short, I, I got the hunting club out of the lease, said I'm going to start selling a few hunts. I was a school teacher and uh, the hunts just kind of grew from there. And I picked up more leases throughout the years and got out of teaching about six years ago. And now we're running our own company called Be Outdoors Real Estate. And uh, so I'm selling properties and the outfitting has become more of a, you know, a real personal thing, I guess you could say for me and building clients uh, and just expanding my network for land sales and, and whatnot. So um, long story short, I've been in this game for about 22 years now and it's, it's ever evolving. It seems like. Yeah. And I, I guess I've been hunting with you out there for what, seven, eight years, at least at maybe 10. Think, yeah. I'd say at least 10. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, the, the Joe Miles tree is 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 long and webbing out from from people, clients, and and people we know together. So <laughs> that's a good thing. That means everything we're doing is working. Yes, yes, that is. So you know, be, being an outfitter, you know, and having a bunch of leases, you get to guide people, interact with really big deer. What you know. What would you say success-wise in a given year or over your career with, you know, Boone and Crockett's, you know, the, the coveted 200 inchers, what, what do you say, you know, you kind of are dealing with each year? Um, well, it's definitely had its highs and lows. It, it seemed like for since the beginning, we were kind of averaging a 200 inch plus deer or or a couple of them every four years as far as trail cameras and even killing one and then uh, a couple really bad drought years i feel like with the ehd and whatever else diseases kind of set us back since 2000 and what 12 and then 2018 we had another one so it's and, and that could also be um pressure and just you know hunting in general that has just blown up and then, you know, entering crossbows. And I mean, it, it, it's a trickling effect, but, but as far as big deer, I mean, it seems like we're still chasing them and, and we still find them, but, but there's no doubt they're not behind every tree. And, um, you know, they, five seems to be the magic number for Kansas, at least get them to five. And, and we got some big deer to chase, you know? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of guys feel like, especially, you know, us being from the, the Southeast, South Carolina, you know, you come to Kansas, you're going to shoot a 160. And that's just that's just not the case in any part of Kansas. Yeah, guys get lucky and do it, and they might 
you know, have some nighttime trail camera pictures of a deer like that, but just what you say, they're not around every tree. Yeah. You know, you watch the hunting shows and, you know, obviously it just, it it feels like, Oh, I can go do that, which is great. But there, you know, I, I would say, one in four bucks, you know, those other three are going to be a type of cold buck, you know, probably 140 inch deer, even at these five, six, seven years old and a, and a stud stud body, you know, and, and just a brute, but might not have all the, the other makings to get them, you know, over that hump. But I tell, I tell clients or whoever's buying land, you know, realistically, realistically you're hunting 150, 160 inch deer and then if you can get one that's that's got all the points or something to go with it, you know, you're you're getting into the booners, you know, if you can get them depending on neighbors and whatnot. So, yeah. Well, in the in the outfitting, we're, we're, I'm going to ask a question that's probably going to be a little bit different. You know, guys are always like, "How do I find a good outfitter? How do I find a good outfitter?" What, in your opinion, I mean, you you've dealt with hundreds of clients, and a lot of them can be pains in the butts, as as I well know with a couple of my businesses, but what would you say makes a good client? What, what, you know, what, and, and, I mean, because let, let's face it, you want to help people th- that you like, and obviously, you know, you're, you're going to give everybody a good hunt, but what, what really makes a good client? What should guys uh, pay attention to and that sort of thing? What, what would you say there? Well, I, I think <clears throat> the first mistake a lot of outfitters have when they complain about clients is they got to step back and remember like this guy is coming to you for a hunt because they they can't do it themselves or they don't have access to the property. So you got to just evaluate the hunter first and then just cater to that skill level and not lose your cool or patience because you got to remember this, this, this guy doesn't know everything, you know, and, or this guy does and wants to do more himself. So the, the perfect hunter, and I've been, I would say pretty fortunate that I'm allowed to vet a lot of my hunters. I just, you know, don't take warm bodies on hunts. It's it's pretty much a lot of repeat clients, or if I need a hunter, I go to guys and, and they refer somebody to me. So I've been really, really fortunate over the years of, of not having a lot of bad apples. But there, there has been some moments, no doubt. But again, for me, the perfect client is, you know, obviously someone that, you know, doesn't come to, to my turf and expect it to be like where they hunt. You know, because things are different from state to state, as you know, deer herds are different and things work in certain states that don't work in others. And and just in my area, I'm like, you know, you can do what you want, but this is what I have to say. And, and if you're unsuccessful doing it how you want to do it, it's probably because you didn't listen to me. And you're trying to do it your own way, which is fine. And I'm really flexible. But again, you know, probably somebody that's that's willing to listen and, you know, not guide the guide. That's kind of a, a cliche saying. Yeah. That makes good sense. You, you know, it, would you would you prefer, I mean, because a lot of guys, you know, are new to the game. They're looking for an outfitter. They want to come out. They want to learn. Um, but then you, you've got the other side of the coin where a guy has hunted his whole life. He wants to come out to Kansas and, and say, okay, here's a property, you know, have at it. Is, is there, is there one you like over the other? Do you want the guy that, that, you know, will come in, will listen to everything you say, you know, you, you meet him in the morning, you take him to the stand or, or, you know, do you prefer, okay, I've got this property, you know, it's, it's, here's the boundaries. The guy's got his own stands, you know, wants to hunt it his way, which, which do you prefer? Or, or I don't know that success, I mean, because 
you get some guys that that uh, you know think they can do it on their own and they can't, and and then you get other guys that are that are real you know killers that can actually get in there and get it done. I mean, what what do you prefer? It, it you know obviously it, it's it's all just expectations. So I got to know what the expectation is of the hunter. If they got three or four days to kill uh, a mature deer in Kansas, you know, it's, and, and they want help doing it. It's, to me, it's all about the journey, your personal journey. So it, some guys, all they want is that deer on the wall. They don't know how they get, they don't care how they get there legally, you know, but they'll shoot it over a corn pile. They'll let me put them where I need to put them. Other guys want to do it themselves. So it has, it has a nice blend. And I say, I got about 50, 50 hunters where, you know, I'm helping some and other guys have been here. They know the ropes. They want to do it themselves. And, and I like both, you know, I like seeing the first guy to, to lay his eyes on a giant, never been there and then watch them involve into a better hunter and wanting to, to take less help and do it on their own. But I mean, I, I see guys that they just, they don't care. They, they, they want me to put them in the stand and um or put them in an area that's set up and they they just you know they they do what i say you know and, yep. and that can be successful too and so again to, to each his own however they want to do it but there's no doubt the spectrum is is all over the board and 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 obviously with me it becomes time so the the less hand holding i have to do the more i'm available to to maybe find bigger deer for people as opposed to just getting a guy in a different stand position because of a win because he can't change the stand himself. So it it's back and forth, I guess. I like it all. It's just my stress level probably determines everything. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, by, by the end of November, you you have got to be about melted down. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I take hunts very personal and I don't want anybody to go away thinking, man, I got I got ripped off because you know, I think what I provide is is something unique and it can be a trespass fee and a place to stay, or it can be a fully guided hunt. So it just, you know, like I said, I, I want everybody to go home thinking I had an opportunity. Now whether they close the deal or not, you know, that's just hunting. Yes, so. wild animals, the deer's got a say in in, yeah. in what happens. All right. So let's, let's drill down a little bit. The big deer that have been killed over the years with you. All right. The, the, the really, you know, the five and a half, six and a half, the, the one eighties, one nineties, 200 inches, the, the, you know, a lot of, some of it can be luck. You know, like you said, a guy comes in, gets on a corn pile, he follows a doe in and shoots him. So let, let's take that out of the equation. Been a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, it has been a lot of those. Sure it has. But let, let's take that out of the equation. Is there something that you see this similar for the guys that come in and really lock down on a big deer and get him killed? Now, obviously it doesn't happen every year, but but I know I know you've had – um, some of the same clients that have come in, mm -hmm. you know, year after year after year, or when they get drawn and want to hunt a big deer, is there something you see those guys do that may be different than the others? Or, or I guess what I'm getting at is in your mind, what does it really take to lock down and kill one of these big Kansas bucks? Um, like, like you said, I, I do think if, if your method is sitting you know, in Kansas, you can legally bait. So if that's how you want to hunt them and kill them, that can be effective. You know, like you said, a doe can bring them in. Um, if you want to get away from the bait and, and hunt on a more pure style, I guess you could say it. And, you know, that's to me, it's, you know, first it's seat time. 
And then also the time of year you're hunting. I mean, hunting early and late season is just completely different than hunting the rut. Uh, you know, it just, so if you're going to hunt, if you're, if you're a rut hunter, you know, Kansas is a great rut state. It's hard to hunt a specific deer during the rut. And, but you know, it's, it's a great rut state. Our deer are very callable. You know, they come to decoys, they do all that stuff. So as long as you're in the area of where you think one's living, I mean, I think you got a shot to kill them. And I think sometimes we, we overestimate it, especially during the rut. Like I don't, I don't believe in a lot of pressure on a deer during the rut, just because, you know, they get on a doe, they're on the next doe. They don't care. You know, they're just, they're just moving now. But if you're trying to hunt early or late season on a specific deer on a food pattern, I mean, that's just completely different. It's all about entrance and exit, you know, and, and wind out here in Kansas, the wind is everything. We kill them on the ground, four feet up, 20 feet up. It doesn't matter whatever tree, you know, provides us, but the wind, you know, you're not, you know, that's, that's the most important thing is going into a setup. You got to have the wind on your side and then, and then comes breakup and the rest, I guess, and, and how you get to the stand. But there's a lot of variables and I'm sure I'm kind of rambling on that, but I mean, to, to kill a giant, you got to have one to hunt first. Yep. And then it's, and then it's developing a solid game plan. And the guys that come in, they seem like they're, they're experienced enough to, to get that game plan going. They ask me, what do I know? You know, what, what trees have been successful before? Um, but you know, it, you're, you're at the mercy of weather and the rut and, and just wind conditions. And so the stars a lot of times have to align for the, for everything to go right on a big one. And that's, that's definitely less predictable, um, you know, but now you got the cell cams and the corn piles and he's showing up here and he's showing up there. And, and to me, that's just an, a, a very easier approach to hunting, no matter what, how big the deer is than, than actually going in and trying to kill a rutting buck that's just free ranging and you're trying to do it through pinches, funnels or decoys or calling them in. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, 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 it does. I mean, into it. I, I guess, you know, we, we talk about it or, you know, you and I have talked about it a, a good bit. You know, when you get out in some of these remote places while you're by yourself, you know, when you're by yourself and the, the mental side of it, guys have got to be able to 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 stay in the game, man. And yeah. and I'm sure you see that a lot. Yeah, and especially you know you're talking about the rut. I mean, it's any any time. You got seat time, you know. And it's these other deer in the trail cameras. Some guys are just religious on the trail cameras, and those deer can be slipping through there, and you're just never seeing them. You know, I got guys that monitor scrapes or corn piles and they don't go in because the deer aren't hitting that. And the deer is just walking by in the background with the doe. Just, you know, so, you know, it, it's as much time you can put into it. But and, and that's another big factor. I mean, if you really want to kill a giant, you know, you, you got to be prepared to put the time in to do it and, and the effort. And I just think it's a grind. And like you said, it's a mental thing like easy to talk yourself out or, Hey, I'm going to stay an extra hour and watch this football game before I go to the stand. <laughs> Meanwhile, the big one's walking by. <laughs> That's a true story. So yeah. whatever the case might be, it's just seat time and, and getting after it, you know, but, but there is smart hunting, you know, hunting smart. Some guys just think they got to be out there all the time. It's like, well, you know, if, if, if you want to play the, the pressure, the weather, the moon, 
I mean, there is smart hunting involved as well and a good plan of attack as opposed to just sitting in the same stand, the same tree, no matter what the wind is and just hoping it happens. So, Chris, you mentioned um, having time. How do you make the time for yourself? You've obviously shot a handful of big ones yourself, some giants. And how do you make the time while you're, you know, working, you're doing your outfit and service, and you're also taking your kids out to shoot these awesome bucks? How are you, how are you finding the time to get, get a little Chris time in the, in the hot seat? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it just is you make time for the kids on some of the gun seasons. Um, now they're getting older and I think my son's going to transition into a rut hunter. I kind of save the rut for myself. And I, again, uh, that's when the, the hunting's smart, you know, like I'll wait for a weather front, a North wind or a red moon. And I'll, I'll just kind of wait when I feel like the deer are, they're going to be moving, you know, maybe it's not the right deer, but I know the deer are going to be moving that day and I'm going in. So living here in Kansas, I can pick and choose maybe five of the best days out of the first 15 days of November and go hunt. And, and sometimes I have a choice, sometimes I don't, but, but I've definitely backed off from, you know, chasing, chasing the big deer, you know, and I, I like for me, it, it, and again, it's, it's evolved as of a, a hunter and, you know, I've, I've killed some nice bucks and, and now it's just become, let's let other people kill some big deer. I mean, I'll kill any big mature deer that, that puts on a show that I like now, you know, in the decoy and I've killed deer, I've killed deer off bait, but the last couple of years, it's like, I've gone full circle. And I'm going back to my, my roots of just really just hunting to hunt. I like the surprise, but as far as finding time, I mean, I just got to get it when I can. And, and if somebody texts me and is like, Hey, I got, you know, I got one down, we got to go look, or I got to go to a sporting event for the kids. I mean, it's just part of it. So, and sometimes you're stuck with the late season tag and that's why it's probably because of the time. So, yeah. Yeah, it can get pretty hectic, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's it's just well, switching over to like leasing, uh, moving away because I, I know your bit your your main business now, like you said earlier, is you know, the land sales and be outdoors. What a a guy, you know, or a couple guys that are that are out of state, you know, say us, for example, what what would you recommend? Would you recommend um, guys coming and, and looking at a smaller farm or internet connection is easy back. You're back. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. What would you recommend, is you it, know, guys coming and, and trying to lease property, a combination, you know, buying ground. I mean, obviously you want guys to buy ground. That's your business, but you know, what, what, what would you say? What would be your advice to guys that, that want to hunt out of state, want to have a good place to hunt? What, what would be your advice there? Um, and let me know if this connection's getting bad, but <laughs> my, I get that question all the time. Hey, I'm looking for a lease. And of course I do some hunts and I'm like, well, I mean, honestly, if I find a lease, I'm probably going to nab it and, and do some hunts on it or do something. But um, it, my advice on that is you, you got to do a little bit of homework. You can't just jump. And if the biggest thing to me is a local connection, you, you got to have eyes and ears on the ground somewhere in the area you're hunting to somebody that can, that can give you a nudge and you're better off, you know, establishing a relationship like that and just jumping into something blind and hoping it works out. Um, and you might, 
you know, that's, that takes work and it, it takes communication and, you know, and, and, and again, more homework than just, Hey, I got access to this property. I'm just going to go. And so it, it, it's a fine line. And I like the outfitting thing. I mean, that's tough. Cause I hear horror stories on that and, and some guys don't want to be outfitted. And that, that's where I feel like I'm just a little different on that. Cause I do give a lot of freedom on hunts and the guys can make it their own, however they want, you know, but I would recommend, and even knocking on doors. I mean, I was that guy. So, but if you're, if you're wanting to travel out of state, you, you got to do your homework, try and find some local connections, find out what the neighbors are doing. And if, if you can take two weeks in the off season and go on a road trip, it might, you might establish a connection for life of hunting. So um, that's kind of more of my style than, than looking to book a hunt. And if you are going to book a hunt, it's, it's 100% referrals. Talk to somebody that's been there, you know, that, that knows how the operation is run, you know, are you just a number at that place running them through or, or, or do they really want, they really want you to be successful, you know? And I think there's, there's a lot of bad outfitters and, and, and it gets a bad name, but that's, that's kind of how I feel on that, you know? But, but, you know, you mentioned it earlier, trespass fees, you know, where, where you've got a property, maybe it's got a, you know, a, a good shootable, older, mature buck in there. So, so a guy could potentially not, hopefully your, your phone and email don't blow up over the next couple of weeks, but they can hit you up for a trespass fee, which would be kind of like a lease, if you will, you know, they got, they got a week to come out there or whatever. <laughs> That, that seems to be the new thing, especially on the turkey hunting. It's, hey, can I get a day pass or, you know, a five-day pass? And I don't know. I, I think, again, the, it depends when you're hunting, too. You know, if you're going to come to Kansas and hunt the rut or the Midwest, I think you just have a better chance of getting a surprise deer to move in and, and hopefully have a big deer that's already got the home range. So, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like that you do the homework and, um, you know, if you can meet the right person, the right connection, it, it just, it makes things a lot easier down the road. And if a guy, if an outfitter wants you to come hunt and blindfold you <laughs> and not really tell you any details about the property, I just, that's just not for me, you know? Yeah. It, it's tough. You know, Kevin and I have talked about it a bunch, F finding an, an outfitter. I mean, because the, for the most part, the business model is, is almost flawed, right? I mean, for you to be more successful and, and put more money in your family's pockets, you got to ru run more hunters or yeah. you, you, you gotta, you, you gotta go up on your price and there's a cap for how expensive you can be. So yeah. the, the so, so it's really tough to find a good quote unquote, honest, reputable outfitter um, that's always, you know, I, I obviously get that question a lot. Hey, do you have an outfitter in, in Iowa that I can contact? And, and I, I really don't, you know, because yeah. over the years, I mean, that's how I started with outfitters, but over the years it's progressed more into exactly what you say, connections and, and having boots on the ground and referrals and friends and properties and, and stuff like that, 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 you know, if you are hunting, you, you know, you're, you're after you know, bigger, more mature deer. That's what you have to do. I mean, to, to, to go book a hunt with an unknown outfitter in Ohio and think that you're yeah. going to get on a big one, it, it's, it, it would be luck. Yeah. And, and I, I've heard stories where a guy went on a hunt and he killed a big deer 
and the outfitter was seriously like, well, you weren't supposed to shoot that tier. Like, you know, uh Oh, what are we going to do now? This guy that wasn't supposed to, and he's like, what do you mean? You know, I'm here to hunt. Like, I'm not supposed to shoot this giant. And, you know, it just not what you want to hear. And I get it. I mean, it's like you said, if, if it's your 100% livelihood, that makes it tough. Like you said, because then you're either paying a premium and, and or they're running too many hunters and then the quality slips and, and a lot of guys do a lot of guys will do like four or five day hunts. And it's like, you know, that's just not really practical to shoot a big deer. You know, you got, you know, I tell guys, I at least try and give you, you know, eight to nine full days of hunting. And even then, if I, you know, if we're still not successful, didn't have opportunities, like let's figure out and extend it a little bit or, or work in the schedule to where you can keep hunting but I guess I'm just, you know, fortunate to where I have other means of income. And now this is, you know, definitely a, a supplemental income, but there's so many more benefits to, to what I do now. And, and, I'm, and I'm more interested in the relationship building with, with clients, you know, whether they're going to end up buying property or just expanding my hunting across the state or wherever. And it just, it, it, it's a win for me on that side of things for sure. Well, so here's talking about buying property. What, you know, a, a guy, you know, has saved up, he wants to buy a farm, you know, he, he's, w- would you say it's better, this is, I guess, a little bit outside of the box, to, to own multiple 40, 60, 80, 100-acre tracks, and so, so instead of one 800-acre track, have 10 80-acre tracks? you know, for, for, for simple math, you know, kind of spread out within an hour of each other. What, what do you think would be, you know, in your area to, to be able to, you know, if you got the 800 acre, you know, maybe you were able to grow one and, you know, consistently, but then you've got the, I'll, I'll you, you talk about that. I guess that's, that, that's the question. You're the expert. That, well, if you're a rut hunter, smaller tracks, more of you're hunting different deer herds and you have a better chance of, of big deer coming in and off your property during the rut. If you're, if you got, uh, it just seems like you can never have enough land to grow them. There's always a neighbor that's got 30 acres next to you, 10 acres, or maybe a thousand acres. But if you're not on the same page, it can, it can affect you so much. Uh, I, I do. I do think if you're a rut hunter and, and you can, you could snag an 80 here or a 40 there and it's the right one. It's, it's you're better off. Um, and, and I think you're, if you own a 160 acres or even 240 acres, now maybe 800 acres. And to think that you're going to consistently grow booners year after year after year, you know, that can be impractical. I mean, I lease over 7,000 acres and there'll be years where we let a thousand acres not even get hunted because we're trying to let everything get another year or that there's just not a giant in some properties. So it, it, to me, that's kind of a selling point to guys too. You know, you could, you could go get a lease and you're stuck on that lease, you know, or you could book a hunt with me and you have several leases to choose from and you're not just bounded by one. And if, if you're truly into hunting big deer, I think you definitely need more options. So yeah. if a guy wants to buy land, now you get into the tag situation, which Kansas is becoming more finicky where, if you want to hunt every year, I think you're going to have to buy 80 acres. Otherwise you're not going to get a tag every year. So that kind of changes the game as well. All right. 
Seymour, tell us about your if, – if you weren't guiding, you weren't outfitting, what would be your style of hunting? Would you be a mobile guy that's going in and hanging, you know, on different properties every day? Are you going to, you know, put some stands up early season, you know, with – with Kansas having, you know, more defined pinch points and that sort of thing, what, what would be your style in Kansas? I, I definitely like my stuff ready before I go in, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to hunt it a lot, but I like having all my options on the table. I might go hang 20 stands for myself and, and have time to hunt two or three of them, you know, <laughs> and then you're pulling them down at the end of the season. You're like, man, I wish I would have hunted this to see what it was like. In fact, the buck I, I killed this year when you were here, I hung that stand the year before, never got to hunt it. And I always wanted to know what I missed. And then I, I hunted it one time this year and, and had success. So I, I, I really enjoy figuring out new spots and I'm, I'm definitely not a hanging hunt guy though. It's just, and that's probably because of the video gear and to add tree stands and climbing sticks on top of that. It just, it's too much. Yeah. It's, it's hard enough to drag all that video gear around all the time by yourself to add the hang and hunt. No way. I don't have yeah. it. In no, it, it is tough. It, it, it is tough. And, and that's a, a very unique person and there are not very many of them. There's a lot of guys that do the mobile thing. It's become kind of a fad, if you will, or, or, oh, or a trend. Yeah. The, the guys are doing public and, and, you know, hanging and hunting and one stepping and, and all this stuff, but it's, it's, uh, or one sticking, isn't that what it's called? One stick. Same thing. Same thing. Um, <laughs> they're repelling. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, I'm with you on that, man. If you, if you can have the stuff set up and ready to go, um, that, that, that's what I like to. Yeah. I, I'm the guy that's, that, again, I'm preparing for the rut. So I'm going to go out, you know, maybe August mostly September, but even October and get all my stuff ready and say, okay, once the flip of the switch hit, I know where I'm going to hunt the rut. Yeah. So. And you know, you're putting a lot, a lot less stress on the place too. You're able to slip in, slip out. You're not hanging, you know, banging a bunch of stuff around, cutting, yeah. shooting limbs, you know, all that. And I like, I like lanes. I like to see, I want to, you know, so I, I will over trim sometimes, which is tough on me because I want it video friendly. And, and usually I don't have to worry about getting busted as much because, you know, there's a decoy in front of you and, and that's what's going to distract them. So, and you're in Osseo gear, so there's no way they can see yeah, you, which is yes, another and very yes, important thing. Representing. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but but again, to, to, to trim in the and that's another thing. I don't want to haul a decoy around. So if you want to hunt with a decoy and be a hanging hunter, I mean, that's, that's hardcore. If you're going to be that guy, well, you're going to be sweating so bad. You can't, yeah. Uh, yeah. you're going to scare everything off anyway. That's a truckload of gear there. Decoy and everything. Yes. Yes. All right. Speaking of gear, we ask everybody this question and you, you may, you may know, you may not know, but Walk through your bow setup, your arrow setup, what you prefer. You know, you've seen a ton of deer um, get killed. You've seen a ton of deer get wounded. Um, you know, are you a heavy I mean, arrow guy, a medium arrow guy, fixed blade, mechanical? You know, what, what's your preferred setup? Well, to start with, I will say I am not that guy. I am not the gear guy. Gotcha. It's, which is probably one of my biggest weaknesses um, I'm the guy that's like, give me something and I'll kill with it. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I do, I, I believe that, you know, we're 2022, like if you're really still making a terrible, terrible bow, like I just, how is that possible? You know, in the range of, of good bow spectrums, you know, I think if you're getting everybody's top line bow, it's, it's gotta be worth something. But um, I've been shooting Hoyt for years now um, with team 200 and I really like them. I, I shoot the, the XL version of their RX sevens, RX fives, and it's more forgiving for me for a longer draw length. And I think they're smooth. Um, <clears throat> arrows and arrow weights, honestly, it's it's pretty plain Jane. Black Eagle arrows, um, they're carnivore, just a regular setup. I have been doing some traditional shooting that I'm trying to convince myself to weed into a little bit. And, and that's something something new I've been, been going with. As far as broadheads, uh, I'm also on the belief that if you hit them where you're supposed to, they all work. Um they do have their advantages and disadvantages if you're getting closer to shoulders. I personally have been struggling with, with staying so far back from the shoulder, I'm getting more liver on my shots, and it's just become a mental block for me the last couple of years, and I'd like to get in. And, and I'm shooting fixed blade broadheads now too, so radical archery design. But, uh, you know, I, I think Rage is great. I shot them for years. Uh, but if I'm doing a lot of – elk hunting i do think maybe fixed blades the way to go which we've been going every year for the past five years on that but i like one pin so you can see more i'm at i'm at the belief that if you're going to take a 70 or 80 yard shot you're going to have time to move that pin usually to take it because that's that's a far shot i think you need to concentrate on anyway so i i, I do like the one pin aspect if you can get one pin and you know how it's shooting out to 30 with just where it's set as a whitetail hunter. I think that's kind of all you need. Most of my deer shots are 25 yards and in all of them. So yeah, but on, on the gear stuff, it's, uh, you know, give me something and, and I'll make it work, you know, but, <laughs> but you practice a lot. I mean, you've got your back deck there that you, you shoot yes, off yes. of and, but you do I, shoot a lot. I do. I do. I go through phases. Um, and, and that becomes time. And, and, and shooting a bow to me is no different than saying I'm going to the gym. It's like you got to get in a regiment. And, and I'm already feeling the, the creeping pressure of September 1st elk hunting. And it's like, man, I, I did a lot of shooting during turkey season. And, um, but it was all, you know, close shots. And, and I haven't shot past 20 yards since last fall. So it's like, okay, it's time to start shooting again here. And, and, um, and yeah, so the gear prep, I, I am at the belief that the, the more that you practice, the better off you will be. It's, it's so hard to simulate buck fever. And I still think I have it at times for sure. I don't have ice in my veins and I'm glad because I, I really feel like I, I want to be into it, but I do want to make ethical shots and, and getting into a system where you're practicing. It's just one more thing to have on your side. So if you do melt down, at least you're you're going through your, your stages of shooting and that's all consistent. So. Yeah. And, and with your deck, I mean, I, you know, we do a lot of elevated shooting up here because it's different, right? Yeah. Shooting out of yes. a stand, it, yes. it, it, it is a lot different. And that's something we try to drive home. And I know you do too. I know when you have your clients show up, you've, you've got your targets in the, in the, you know, out there by your, 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 your cabin and, and they're right there at your house where they can get up on your back deck and shoot. And that's an important part that a lot of, you know, shooting, 
flat ground in your backyard is one thing, but getting elevated and shooting at deer targets, that's an important part of it. Yeah. Or even from a knee or from a chair. I mean, however you're going to hunt, you know, cause it, the elevated shooting though, like you said, I, I that's gotta be practice cause it is definitely different. And I, I like it better too. You know, it just feels like when you're aiming down, it just, it's easier than flat shooting too, for me anyways, but yeah. All right. More gear. I, I, and I think you're going to be probably the, the, the most knowledgeable guy that we'll ever have on the podcast because you run so many trail cameras. What, what <laughs> is your trail cam strategy? Um, do they help you kill specific deer? What, what do you, what do you say to that with the trail cams? Yeah. Tra- trail cams. I've got, I've got mixed emotions again because I'm going back to to liking a little bit of surprise in my hunting. So I don't want to know everything, but it's it's hard to say I, I you know, but on the outfitting side of things, yes, you know, I'm running 40, 50 trail cameras and not as much as I used to, but there's no doubt like that's 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 a hundred percent part of finding big deer. I mean, especially in, in the summertime and, and some of the early season stuff or even late season, you got to have all the cameras out and now the cell camera. I mean, that's just a whole nother topic and game changer, but I, I am more into the uh, artistic mode of the cameras too. Like I like getting a quality photo. So in videos now videos and um, they're great for social media posts and everything else, but, and add into your hunt to help tell the story. Now you got all these high quality videos. In fact, my hunt this year, I had my camera on a stick and pick on video mode to capture another angle of the deer coming into a buck decoy. And so that just, again, it adds to another video angle, but as far as again, brands and stuff, I mean, I think battery life is, is the number one thing. Um, we were running Radix cameras for the last couple of years and the great audio and video quality, but on video mode, it's just like your battery life was just like, just shrink to nothing. I mean, you, you'd change them out quite a bit. Um, it seems like we've, I've gotten into a, a rechargeable battery system with some solar stuff that is, is really hit home with that. And, and they seem to have some longevity on those types of batteries. So I think if you're going to, really run them a lot on, on feed where you're taking a lot of photos. Uh, you know, you better, you better have a system where those cameras are going to last. Um, right now in the summertime, I definitely do the mineral thing, whether it's trophy rocks or 30 out six mineral. Um, we're out there and, and, and you figure out where the Baxter groups are hanging out, get a mineral close to it and you'll get some good mineral photos in the summertime. Um, as we get in October, I move them all the scrapes or feed. And, uh, you know, we're catching all the the cameras on that, but I think battery life is, and it it just becomes image quality, you know, find something if you really like to see a nice photo, because there's a lot of cheap cameras out there and you're going to get a cheap photo, but if it just tells you what's there and that's fine, but budget wise, again, I, that's just up to you, but it seems like you can get into a nice camera now for a hundred to 150 bucks. And, and get on a cheap sell plan too, if you want to go that route. Yeah, we we just did are, are in the process of finishing up a trail a cell cam test, and we did the Spartans, which are like over four hundred dollars. The the Ghost yeah. cams, we did the Tacticam, and then we did Exodus. And you know, you talk about a budget. Those Tacticams, man, the the range of those things—they're um, incredible. I think 
I, I so I I ran the the reveal the solar power now the the one the one knock I have on the Tacticam they came out with one I can't remember the name of it XB or whatever and it has the solar thing on top of it and I was like oh this is great you know it's kind of like the spy point but but the Tacticam have a way clearer image I mean it's a great image quality and but I called Tacticam and they don't have a it's got the lithium battery pack that goes with it. So, you know, my strategy with, with the spy points is I have an extra lithium battery. So when one dies, I can just have one charge and swip it out, swap it out. The tab cam, they don't make a replaceable battery. They sell you. So that camera dies, you got to take the whole thing home and charge it and then take it back out. Yeah, that ain't good. Waste a trip. And that ain't good. So now the last I checked on that, they, they, they didn't make an extra battery, which I'm just like, this is not good. So you're almost better off just buying the regular one and their solar adapter that you plug into it and get some rechargeable batteries and do it that way. But I'm with you, like for the money, I think right now Tacticam is, 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 I feel like is leading the charge on the, on affordable cell camera stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we did see like with the Exodus and the Spartans, some trigger speed, some photo quality stuff. Um, and, and, and so you, you, if budget's not an issue, you can look at some higher ones. But but then again, you know, for for four hundred dollars, you can have two of the Tacticams versus yeah. one of the Spartans. So yeah. I mean, you're covering twice as much ground. And their their plans are like, um, you know, they're prorated. So it's like I'm cutting it off now, and it, you're done. You know, it's just the app's easy to manage. So I'm I'm really impressed with that. I've actually had some uh, some cheap spy points, like the real cheap ones too. I've been running, and they. They seem to do all right too with the solar deal on top, but again, for me, it's it's battery life. It just they got to be out there working, you know, and reliability. So yeah, they got to take the picture. Um, yeah. That's a big thing, Chris. With you running so many cameras on different properties, are you seeing any kind of pattern on like maybe a deer that you didn't shoot, one of your clients didn't shoot, or a deer that you? was you kind of put off limits that was too young um, or was broken up or whatever. Do, do you see a pattern of them showing up like the same times within a couple days the next year? Is that, you think that's a thing or I've heard other guys mention that um, on other podcasts where they'll, they'll have like a 10 day, you know, time frame where their shooter buck will show up and they're just going off of, um, you know, trail cam info from years prior. Now, I, I think those older big deer definitely come back to their their rutting range and own it. And um, one big one we had this last year, I mean, same spot, same time. Here he comes showing up again. The deer I killed, no early season photos, no nothing. Here we are. First week of November, here he comes strolling in back to his rut range. So, and yeah, the, the trail cam can give you that info, um, but you can learn a lot from them cameras. And I think you can learn a lot more if you get them away from a feed pile and put them on some trails and scrapes and something that might take a little more work to get in there and find, or even a rub that they might come back and hit year after year. They are, you know, habitual creatures. They, they, they have to be for their core ranges and so I think you can learn a lot about that. One other thing I did, and it's, I'm sure it's nothing new, but I've left a couple of cameras out on scrapes all the way through March. And it's unbelievable 
shed or not shed buck will come back to those scrapes and they're still checking them, still hitting them. And you can still get a lot of inventory as opposed to putting a bunch of money into feed, trying to get shed photos or, or what survive photos, keep them on those scrapes, January, February, March, and you'll still gather that same type of inventory. I know you mentioned that your, your favorite time to hunt is, uh, the rut. That's your thing. Um, if you were a guy coming out of state to, to hunt Kansas, where, what time of year, early season rut or late season, do you think, would you, would you recommend, I guess? I mean, if you have a giant on camera, you got to go hunt them as soon as you can hunt them, you know? So if, if you're willing to hunt over feed and you got a giant pinned down for early season, you know, especially with the muzzleloader uh, or even a bow, you know, you, you could get on them quick. Now where I'm at, there's a lot of ag, so they don't depend on, on, on that type of feed. That time of year is, is, is hard, but still, if you can pin one down early and you got them, I mean, you, you got to go chase them as soon as the season opens. Uh, the rut is just a different beast. I don't think you, I think you just have to enjoy hunting the rut to want to hunt the rut. But if you're really trying to kill big deer early, you know, get after them as soon as you can. Um, or even the end of October, if they're on pattern on scrapes or in a certain area before they go off rutting and then uh, late season, I mean, it's hard to beat a snowstorm and a cold front. If you got standing beans in a plot or, or however you can legally hunt feed, no feed or, you know, so they all have their advantages and disadvantages, but it's not like you're going to wait till December to go hunt a 200 inch deer that's showing up in September. Right. So go get after him as soon as you can, because you just never know, you know, it's, it's a life once a lifetime opportunity to chase deer like that. So you got to do everything you can hunt as much as you can. If you could hunt one out of state place out of Kansas, where would it be? Um, Right now, hunting with a couple recurve buddies of mine, Rick, Ricky and Rocky Bonomo and Wade Fatul, it would, it's Canada. You know, we're going up into Ontario. They got a little honey hole. I've been there twice now. I've killed one 23-inch wide 10-pointer, and there's just the age class there is impressive. No gun hunting allowed, and, you know, it's their deal and I'm just kind of a part of it now. And, and now that the border's back open, I'm really excited to get back up there. It's been a two year drought. I just got back from there three weeks ago and caught a must give a lifetime fishing and doing some deer scouting. So it's really exciting to get back up there and I'm really looking forward to it. But right now um, that, that, that area they got going on up there is pretty hard to beat. You don't get a lot of the, non-typical stuff or tall tines but you get mass and age i mean and that that kind of does it for me big frames and you know ontario that's kind of a sleeper you don't hear a lot of people talk about ontario you hear saskatchewan alberta you don't hear a lot about yeah, ontario. I, I meant to say alberta sorry oh is yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that, that, that's what i thought <laughs> the you green have river. the gps court where do you fly into seymour <laughs> green river in alberta is just Hard to beat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, man, we appreciate you coming on. We know you got a lot going on. Tell hey, wait, one, one more thing I want, I want to say out of state. I do go down and hunt Oklahoma, 
and I'm hunting 130 inch, 140 inch deer and people, I, well, why would you go down there and hunt? And I do, I'm a terrain guy too. Give me just something different. It's kind of desert hunting. It's just different. So like, you know, South Texas yep. with you going down there, it's just fun. It's different. So it doesn't always have to be Boone and Crockett's. It, it can be big deer for the area and just give me a change of terrain. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. If yeah. guys want to get hold of you, if they're interested in, you know, maybe booking a hunt, getting a trespass fee, want to buy some property in Kansas, how, how do they do it? Where, where do they go to find you? Um, probably the easiest way is our Be Outdoors website, which is beoutdoors.com. And you can find my contact info there. Um, but other than that, uh, just call Joe Miles. He'll, he'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) What's that cell phone number of yours, Seymour? Let's put that out there so everybody can call that. Yeah. And, and one other thing we didn't touch on that is probably a big deal that I, I probably ignored a lot throughout this whole thing was the moon. And uh, just real quick, maybe you can add this back in the podcast earlier, but planning out-of-state hunts, if you only have five or six days, I would definitely check the moon out, have everything on your side. So Now, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've talked about that a little bit with Andre when he was on, but, but it's fine. that we, we can dive into that real quick. Um, when, when you say, you know, guys, a lot of guys are uneducated on that. When you say check the moon, I think – what a yes, lot of guys yes. mess up is, is they're looking at phases like full moon, yeah. um, new moon, that sort of thing. And, and when you say, look at the moon, you're talking about the overhead underfoot moon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously with, I'm, I'm good buddies with Adam Hayes and, and checking the moon guide with the red moon, red moon dates. Um, and it can be general or you can get as specific as you want, looking into it. Uh, and I do think the rut and weather fronts will trump the moon, but Again, if, if you can have all three of those on your side, you know, why not? So if you're trying to plan a hunt, especially early and late season, you know, I say l- look at the red moon dates and, and go from there. And, and again, you can go to Moon Guide and check that out. So. And, and, you know, we, we all follow that, but you hear a lot of guys talk about it's hocus pocus, you know, it's not real. Um, you being an outfitter, you running, you know, 50 trail cameras a year, you know, interacting 7,000 acres. I mean, you, th- this is not anecdotal for you. This is proven absolutely no question about it. it, it the moon has an effect. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% going to look at what the moon's doing in September um, when I'm planning muzzleloader hunts. It's not about getting here open today. Get, if you get here when it's the red moon. And, and I don't care what you say. There's times you drive around wherever, what state you're in, and you see more deer out eating the fields than other days and just see what the moon's doing. I mean, it trail cameras. Now, if you're, if you're going to dive into a bedding area and hunt, then I don't think it matters because you're in where yeah. they walk around any, every day, you know? So it just, to me, it, it, it's just one more tool in, in killing big deer and trying to find, you know, more deer on the hoof in the daylight. And that, that definitely is, is, a, is something that I use to book hunts and to book my own hunts when I go out of state. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you again. We appreciate it. Uh, you're coming on be outdoors, Chris Seymour, and that's B E like be there, be outdoors.com. Um, yeah, y'all check him out and, and I will be seeing you here in August. And then again in October, November, my friend be here before we know it. It will be appreciate right. it, buddy. Thanks, Chris. All right. See you guys. All right, man. See you.